Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed to networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I am Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. We have a show coming up at the end of the month uh, on Leap Day, Saturday, February 29th. We're coming to the West Side for the first time. Shows at the West Side Comedy Theater on the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica. It's at five o'clock. We'll be doing two pilots, one by Allison Bennett. Uh, she's a writer from uh, You're the Worst and currently Single Parents. And another one by Sally Bradford McKenna, writer on Will and Grace, The Grinder, Son of Zorn, many others. Two completely different tones, styles, both really hilarious. We're just getting started with casting, but uh, Star Wars fans can say that Kelly Marie Tran from The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker will be there. As with the legendary Mimi Kennedy from Mom... Veep, Dharma and Greg. Uh, there's going to be lots more great casts announced soon. Follow us on social media to keep up with that. Go to westsidecomedy.com to get your tickets. Uh, this is going to be a good year for Dead Pilots Society. We've got some good shows coming up. I'm excited. Uh, we started off this year on the podcast with a very candid and insightful conversation with executive Sami Falvey. But now we are back doing what we do best, which is bringing you the finest in unfairly murdered comedy. Um, before I tell you about our pilot, I'm going to share a little wisdom. Because as I've been sitting in my office, torturing myself, a.k.a. writing, uh, I've been thinking about something someone said. Because I've been struggling with the usual thoughts of, you know, is anyone ever going to possibly give a shit about this idea? And this just very simple bit of advice uh, that uh, someone told a friend who told to me that I've been trying to keep in mind is if it's interesting to you, it will be interesting to other people. That's it. Um, just might be true. Because when I think back to some of the things I've written that didn't go anywhere, maybe those weren't actually that interesting to me. They were things that I thought other people would be interested in. Um, so I don't know. There you have it. If it's interesting to you, it'll be interesting to other people. Maybe maybe that'll help you get through the day. Uh, our pilot is Training Room by Bridge Munoz Leibowitz. Bridge Munoz Leibowitz. Um, it's, uh, it's on the cable streaming side of things, and it is a bit R-rated. So keep that in mind if you're listening with small children. I didn't know Bridge before doing this, uh, and boy, did I enjoy talking to her. We got into some really interesting territory. Her whole story of how she got into uh, comedy writing is really interesting, and we, we talked about gender dynamics and the uh, effects of Me Too and the writer's room, and you know, she talks about how she recovered after a pretty tough career setback. It's a good conversation, so stick around for that after the read. Our cast for this one, Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. As Jamie, her husband David Fumero from Power as Mario, Tony Cavallero from The Righteous Gemstones as Ryan, the great Matt Walsh from Veep as Coach Vince, 
Ed Weeks from the Mindy Project as Ian. Roberta Valderrama from American Princess as Tawny. Yasir Lester from Black Monday as Kyle. Chelsea Devantes from Bless This Mess as Tima. Asif Ali from Wrecked as Jamie's dad and Victor. And Brendan Scannell from Heathers as Nick and also as Frosted Tips, which is one of the great character names. So here is Training Room, followed by my interview with Bridget after a brief message. Friendly Fire is a podcast about war movies, but it's so much more than that. It's history. It was just supposed to be another assignment. It's comedy. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. It's cinema studies. It's a hell of a combination. So subscribe and download Friendly Fire on your podcatcher of choice or at MaximumFun.org. This is Training Room, written by Bridget Munoz-Liebowitz. Act one. We're in exterior soccer field, day. It's 1999. We're close on tiny feet, expertly handling a ball as we zig and zag through other feet, trying to take the ball away. We widen to reveal the ball handler is Jamie, 12, confident, the world's tightest ponytail. She's athletic, but smaller than everyone else on the field who are all boys. Jamie breaks away, hotly pursued by a much bigger 13-year-old boy with frosted tips and a puka shell necklace. In the stands, parents go nuts. Jamie's dad, in his 40s, the coach, way too invested, shouts from the sidelines. Come on, Jamie! Smoke his sync ass! Frosted Tips catches up, trips her, and steals the ball. Eat my dick, bitch! <laughs> he gives her a smirk and takes off towards the opposing goal. Get it back, Jamie! You gonna let him take your ball? He's wearing a necklace, Jamie! Like Nana Rose! <laughs> Jamie gets up and busts her ass, catching up to Frosted Tips. She kicks the ball through his legs, then drives to shoot, elbowing him out of the way. He loses his balance and falls. Jamie takes her shot and scores. Her teammates go nuts. Jamie clocks Frosted Tips on the ground, sulking. She jogs over and extends her hand, offering to help him up, but he bats it away, unwilling to look Jamie in the eye. Then... Medic! We need a medic! What? I'm fine! Help! Help! Somebody's feelings are really hurt! Oh my god, I think he's dying of sucking so hard! Jamie's teammates laugh. It's a solid burn. Shut up! He gets up. She notices he's teary. Jamie smirks, having gotten to him. Coach Dad blows his whistle. Jamie runs over. Jamie, what is going on? Did you make that young man cry? Yeah. A beat as she braces for the worst, then... That kid was a bitch. (laughs) You hear that? You're a bitch! Tell him, honey. Hey, you're a bitch! Good girl. Ice cream later. He swats her on the back and Jamie smiles, hustling onto the field. Slow motion as Jamie fields high fives and saunters towards the center of the field. And we match cut to interior, the LA Cosmos training facility. It's 2019. Jamie, now 31, looks the same. Tight ponytail, athletic gear, and a swagger. Saunters down the hallway of the LA Cosmos locker room. She daps up the players, the epitome of tomboy cool. When Nick, 19, a bumpkin and a very good boy, bolts up to her. Jamie, we need you in the training room. Kyle did something super gross. Off Jamie, morbidly curious, we go to the training room. We're close on a severely and disgustingly dislocated finger. We pull out to reveal its owner, Kyle, 26, a hyper-competitive peak jock, panic crying on a table in the training room. Victor, 30 and a ladies' man, 
laughs at Kyle, while Ryan, 34, infuriatingly arrogant, another physiotherapist, vomits on his knees into a wastebasket. Ian, 40s, British and over it, cycles lazily on a bike while on his phone. What happened? Victor bet Kyle five bucks he couldn't do the worm. He can't. (laughs) Then Ryan saw Kyle's finger and threw up in that trash can. It was something I ate. I can do the worm. That floor had no grip. Double or nothing. I can do it right now. One-handed. Naked. I'll take the action. Guys, don't you don't you can't dare Kyle to do stuff like this because he'll do it. And if he does, he'll get ten bucks. Let me see your finger real quick. It's not about the money, it's about my honor. Without warning, Jamie expertly snaps Kyle's finger into place. All the guys watching look away grossed out. Oh. Fuck! <clears throat> All better. Jamie splints Kyle's finger and wraps it. You didn't even count to three! And we cut to the locker room. Jamie walks through the locker room where players are in various states of undress to her office. Ryan catches up. Oh, you feeling better, sweetie? Shut up. You know I have a thing with mangled body parts. The sound of construction grows louder as they walk down the hall. They turn the corner to find Jamie's office being demolished. A mover swaps out furniture for a giant Buddha head. Uh, Excuse me, sir. May I ask, what the fuck? In Jamie's office, we're close on framed photos of Jamie with teammates in front of an Olympic flag as a sledgehammer slams the wall next to them. What are you doing? That's my wall! (laughs) Gotta make room for the sauna. (laughs) Jamie grabs the photo before he can swing again. She storms out, passing a mover, bringing in man-sized wind chimes. Jamie takes off down the hall with Ryan in tow. We're in Coach Vince's office. Jamie storms past Tawny, 50s, seen it all, loudly dressed, Vince's assistant, who blocks her with her rolly chair. I need to talk to Vince. Okay, then maybe you should start over. Uh, Good morning, Jamie. Jamie inhales sharply, resigning to play by Tawny's rules. Good morning, Tawny. May I speak to Vince, please? I like your nails. They're incredibly pointy. (laughs) Just then, Coach Vince, 50s, two heart attacks, emerges. (laughs) Uh, What do you want? What the hell is happening to my office? Vince smiles. He gestures for her to come in. Ryan follows. We're in Coach Vince's office. There's an open bottle of champagne on Vince's desk. Champagne? It's 9 a.m. What's going on? (gasps) Did your wife's mother finally die? If that witch ever dies, I'll be doing blow off an In-N-Out cheeseburger while my wife jerks me off between two sticks of real butter. (laughs) But this is almost as good. We got Mario Mario! What? Holy shit. Two World Cups, three European Cups, two Copas, all for the low price of $17 million. Mario's coming here? Mm -hmm. We could actually have a shot at winning? Don't fuck with me, Vince, because I would love one of those championship rings. Could do a lot of gloating at Thanksgiving with a ring like that. Okay, I'll call Dibs. I'm his lead physio. What? No, you can't call Dibs. If anyone's going to be his physio, it's me. I've got more experience, more education, and a better gag reflex. Okay, the honor should go to whoever has watched every single game he's ever played in. And who would make his best wingman. That's me. Someone he could call and be like, hey, what's up, bro? You want to get a couple beers and mix it up with some chicks? Sure. <laughs> Uh, Okay, loser. Mario does not want to be best friends with you, and he definitely does not want your dirty sausage fingers all over him. Okay, they're meaty because they're strong? Yeah, they look like like roided out baby dicks. Okay, okay, shut up. Exactly. Shut up. 
do not ruin this for me, okay? I've spent the last three years terrified I'd have to move back to Latvia to coach some women's soccer team. But now we have Mario, and he has asked for a private locker room suite, and your office is the only one with a private bathroom. Uh, Doi, that's that's why it's my office. There's no women's room down here. Where am I supposed to do my twos? Loge level, section B. (laughs) All right, please, Jamie, take one for the team here. Mm -hmm. It's just a temporary relocation. Don't you want to make Mario happy so he kicks the ball real good and wins us a championship? Where? And we're in the LA Cosmos equipment room. A beat-up folding table houses an espresso pot and an altar to the Virgin of Guadalupe, which is watching over a photo of the team, a pair of cleats, and someone's chones. Reggaeton blasts. In reverse, Jamie holding a box of her things surrounded by uniforms, balls, cones, laundry. Behind her, Ryan Snickers. Nacho, 50s, equipment manager, the Napoleon complex, stands with his arms folded, not thrilled to have a roommate. I love this song. And we go to the locker room. Kyle, Victor, Nick, and Ian. Kyle struggles to open his deodorant because of his finger. Nick shaves Ian's back for him with great care. I heard Mario has a pet camel that he milks. It's how he's so strong and fast. Hey, do you guys want to timeshare a camel? Victor, frustrated, takes the deodorant. He lifts Kyle's arm and applies it for him. I heard he dated Dakota Fanning and Helen Mirren at the same time. I want to study with him, honestly. Everyone's fucked Helen Mirren. When I played for Man U with David Beckham, okay, I dated a Spice Girl. I can't say which one, but let's just say she had an impressive mile time. What's a Spice Girl? <laughs> just then, the sound of a helicopter overtakes the space. Everyone looks around. What the fuck? We're exterior of the LA Cosmos soccer field. Mario exits the helicopter wearing head-to-toe leather. He takes off a helmet to reveal a super-fine Latino man, mid-30s, rugged with a trendy man bun. The guys are in awe. Oh, my God, his quads look like loaves of bread baked into his legs. Jesus, put your dick back in your pants. It's, it's hard. <laughs> We're in the locker room. Mario stands before the team. He's taken off his jacket to reveal a skimpy tank top. He's covered in spiritual tattoos. Last week, I was in Burkina Faso teaching soccer to children horribly disfigured by landmines. And one little boy, Ibrahim, taught me an incredible lesson. He said, Uncle Mario, I lost my brothers and my parents and my leg in this war. But after this three-day camp with you, I feel like now I found my family again. <laughs> and I said, Ibrahim, I know what you mean. When my $20 million contract with Real Madrid, ex- Madrid expired, I felt like I'd lost my family. <laughs> but now, standing in front of you, my future brothers I know, I found my family and purpose again. I want you all to look at your lockers. Go on. The guys look in their lockers to find elaborate gift bags. An autograph from my favorite athlete, Lance Armstrong? Dear Kyle, whatever it takes. Love, Lance. (laughs) (laughs) Monogrammed condoms? My family Bible? We thought it was lost in the floods. (laughs) Just a few small gifts to say thanks for having me. How did he do that? As the guys dig through the gift bags, elated, Jamie and Ryan race up to Mario to introduce themselves. Ryan beats Jamie. 
Hey Mario, what's up? Uh, Ryan, Team Physio. I uh, just want to welcome you and tell you how much I look forward to working with you. If you need anything at all, restaurant recommendations, mechanic referral, someone to show you around, grab a sake bomb, or what, you know, uh, cool, let me know. <laughs> or you can let me know the incredibly generous and hospitable person who donated their office to you. I'm Jamie, also Team Physio. Mario takes Jamie's hand with both hands, overly graciously. Really? A female physio? I played professionally, too, but I got injured when I retired. I guess Vince thought I was the right man for the job. Wow. A woman in the men's locker room. Breaking the glass ceiling. Time, 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 hashtag time's up. <laughs> I love it. You know, I'm on the board of For Better or Words. We teach women who have had abortions how to read. <laughs> Jamie is unsure what to make of that. Ryan envies the attention. Okay, let's get suited up on the field in 10. Let's go, let's go, let's go! Mario hugs Ryan and Jamie deeply, then makes prayer hands and bows deeply before departing. God, he smells good. It's like lavender and my dad. <laughs> Off of Jamie watching Mario trying to figure him out. We're exterior of the soccer field. Jamie and Ryan watch the scrimmage. Jamie studies Mario's play. Every chance he has, he passes the ball. Hmm. For an international soccer legend, Mario is a surprisingly generous player. Ryan, distracted, watches the LA, LA Cosmo girls practice a sexy choreography. She clocks Ryan making flirtatious eyes with Tima, 26, hyper-intellectual, deadly pretty. Jamie's jealous. Hey, Pervo! Huh? The important legs are over here. I can't believe we sullied the world's purest sport with that. Maybe now that we have Mario, we can get rid of the high kicks and techno remixes of Moni. Okay, Jamie, you know the attendance has been shit, all right? We need all the help we can get. And you can't blame management for trying to add a little more culture to the game days. Well, I've seen far more of that girl's culture than I want to. I get it. Just then, Mario, go Mario goes down on the field, clutching his leg. Jamie and Ryan rush over to find him gasping for air. Jamie and Ryan share a look. This isn't good. We're in the training room. Ryan stretches Mario out, leaning in face to face. Uh, bouncing to release the muscle. It's very homoerotic. Uh, okay, exhale as I inhale. Exhale as I inhale. Jamie tries not to giggle. Vince smacks her and hovers. Okay, can he play on Saturday? Shouldn't be a problem. Uh, I'd like to examine him just to double check. You just want to touch his junk. Okay, Jamie here is the greatest. She's an actual doctor of physical therapy. Known her since she was this big, actually. Coached her on her junior Olympic team. Any pre-existing injuries? Just a tight IT band. Oh, and I, I got shot last year. <laughs> you, you got shot? I was in Peru studying Incan shamanism with the Cacataibo tribe. And, mm -hmm. and while we were out, out harvesting turtle legs, we were ambushed by the Masco Pito people. They missed my kidney by that much. Jamie pushes on his hip flexor and he yelps in pain. Bingo. SI joint dysfunction with overtrained hip, hip flexors. It's pulling his knee out of alignment. See how sensitive it is? Ow! Damn! Yeah. Rest and glute focus PT is in order. Jamie, I just spent a shit ton of money on Mario, and now you're telling me he can't play? I'm really fine. Just stepped weird. 
He just stepped weird. There you have it. Let's not create drama where there isn't any. Uh, drama? How about this? He rests for today, ices, and then we see where he is tomorrow. I'll let you up on one condition. Full rest today and tomorrow. Ice like it's your job and rehab with me every day for the next month. Ryan and Vince exchange looks. What's Mario going to say? I can do that. I told you she was the best. Then Sato to Jamie. Don't do that to me again. You know I've had four heart attacks. <laughs> See you tomorrow, 9 a.m. You got it, Doc. She <laughs> smiles at the nickname. Mario and Vince leave. No calling dibs, huh, Doc? I was going to let you borrow my oil-scented diffuser for your new office, but you can forget that, pal. Oh, no. Ryan storms off. Jamie rolls her eyes, but once he's gone, she picks up her clipboard and writes Mario's name on the schedule. He's her new client. And that's the end of Act One. Act Two, we're in the Cosmos training room. It's the next day. Ian explains his injury while humping the training table. It hurts when I go like this. I don't... He lies face down. And when I go like this... He turns over, humping upwards. And when I go like this... Do you think it's some kind of repetitive stress injury? Jamie rolls her eyes and turns to Ryan. Hey, Ryan, this one's all you. Anyone seen Mario? He's supposed to be here like 25 minutes ago. And we're in the Cosmos training facility hallway. Jamie hears music and laughter as she walks down the hallway to Mario's office. She knocks and Mario opens it a crack. Did you forget our appointment? Shit. Sorry, Jamie. I'm so absent-minded. But it is something that I'm working on with my shaman. Okay, well, we can still squeeze in a 20-minute stretch. Actually, we're kind of in the middle of a bonding sesh. I figured that would be a good use of my time, since you won't let me play. Save your credit. Mario opens the door to reveal the guys in a hot tub watching soccer on a giant flat screen and a chef preparing savory crepes. Mm, They're so good. Mine has shrimp. (laughs) As good as that sounds, we had a deal. PT with me every day. So wrap up your little party and let's go. Okay. Calm down, mom. The guys all ooh. Jamie is taken aback. Yo, do we have a problem? But before Mario can answer, Vince walks by. All right, what's going on? I wanted to do something special for the guys, and PT just completely slipped my mind. I am very sorry. Is that waffles I smell? Can I get you one? Please, as an apology. Chef made whipped cream. Vince looks at Jamie. Her look says, back me up, bro. It's an apology, Waffle. He's sorry. (sighs) Come on, I never get to have waffles anymore. (laughs) On TV, an announcer shouts, goal, as Mario puts his arm around Vince, gives Jamie a smug smile, and closes the door. Jamie stands there fuming, and we match cut to a flashback. We're in Jamie's childhood living room. It's 1999. The same goal sound coming from the TV. Young Jamie peeks into the living room to see her dad and her brothers enthralled in a soccer game on TV. She tiptoes upstairs to her brother's room. She pulls out a stack of Playboys from under his bed. She looks at them, frowns, and stuffs them into her backpack. In the neighborhood, she rides her bike to get to a backyard. Young Jamie climbs a tree to a treehouse and knocks. One of her teammates opens the door and lets her in. Inside the treehouse are four other teammates playing with PSPs and drinking soda. They sit up as she enters. You get the stuff? 
Jamie smiles proudly and hands the backpack over. He opens it and passes the Playboys around. Everyone is in awe. Aw, damn, look at the tits on this one. Dude, this one's thing has hair. (laughs) The guys are enthralled until they look up and notice Jamie grabbing a soda from the cooler, about to make herself at home. The guys all look at each other, then... Uh, Jamie, uh, thanks so much for the stuff. Really cool of you, but, um, you can go right now? It's, uh, kind of weird with a girl here. There's girls in those magazines. This is different. (laughs) Oh, okay. See you later then? None of the guys even look up from the porn to say goodbye. Jamie grabs her bag and climbs back down the tree. We're back to the present. In the women's bathroom, she splashes water on her face and dries it. And she walks out. Jamie begins her very long walk down a long hallway, down multiple flights of stairs, past closed concessions, past custodial staff, down another hallway, and into the LA Cosmos cafeteria. The players are in there after morning practice, starving. Later, Jamie approaches the guy's table holding her tray. Yo, you see they got quiche today? Or as I like to call it, fart pie. (laughs) Come on, scooch. The The guys begin to scooch when Mario stops them. Sorry, Jamie, we're in the middle of discussing some new plays. you mind? The guys just look down at their food. Uh, oh, uh, no problem. I, I forgot I have other lunch plans anyway, so it's fine. Jamie frantically searches for an open spot. She finds one at Tima and Tawny's table. She begrudgingly walks over. Hey, is it cool if I sit with you guys? Jamie sits down and begins plowing through her quiche. Everything okay? You're kind of deep-throating that quiche. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's everything's chill. Tima and Tawny exchange looks. They know something's up. Um, how come you're not sitting with the team? Did the guys finally figure out you don't actually have a dick? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Tima. I'm one of the LA Cosmo girls. Nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> well, Tima. What the fuck was that supposed to mean? Whoa, whoa. I think all she means is you've never eaten lunch with us before, and you say dude a lot, and your haircut's kind of masculine. I just came over here to eat quiche. Okay, Jamie, we've been watching you for a long time now, and we're kind of worried about you. You're kind of um, an Uncle Tanya. What? (laughs) You know, a woman who panders to men to win their approval? (laughs) Uncle Tanya. Oh, oh, that's that's cute coming from a cheerleader. Okay, um, this is just a side gig. I'm getting my PhD in women's studies. You see, by leaning into traditional expectations of femininity, I'm actually subverting cultural norms. That's convenient. (laughs) And I don't pander to them. Those guys are my friends. They respect me. No, they aren't. And no, they don't. Men either want to fuck you or fuck you over. None of those guys have ever tried either of those things. Well, maybe if you lose the tracksuits. I mean, you look like you're in a cult that worships Tony Soprano. (laughs) They're just acting weird because there's a new dog in the pack. We're friends. I'll prove it to you. Jamie marches over to the guy's table. Oh, uh, BT Dubs, guys, I wanted to invite you over tonight for a welcome barbecue for Mario. We can fire up the grill, set up the outdoor projector. That's so cool of you, but I'm taking everyone out tonight for a team bonding sesh. Oh, that sounds great. What time? Oh, just the players. Sorry. Mario gets up and the guys follow, going to the locker room. Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. Well, uh, have fun. Mario claps Jamie on the back, passive-aggressively. Tima and Tawny shoot Jamie a told-you look. Jamie pulls Kyle aside. Where are you going and what time? I'm not supposed to tell you, 
There's no moms allowed. <laughs> Jamie pushes up lightly on his dislocated finger. Ow, ow, ow. Okay, Mrs. Wu's at 930. Thanks for the invite, Kyle. She turns to Tima and Tawny. See? Friends. Uh-huh. Did your friend give you the key? What? You need? I need a key? Do you have a key? I might. You want some of my quiche? And we go to the exterior of Mrs. Wu's at night. Jamie, Tima, and Tawny walk down a street of warehouses. Tima and Tawny are dressed up. Jamie wears a fresh tracksuit. <laughs> so how do you have a key? Oh, I don't. What? You said you could get us in. I can Tima leads them past the line and walks up to the bouncer. Key, please. Tima pretends to look through her bag. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm such a ditz. I forgot my key. <laughs> Can you let us in anyway? No. I need to see a key. Right, right. Um, Tima searches for the key on her body in a very sexy way. Okay, so it's got to be in... No, it's not there. Okay, just, I'll, just, I'll just jiggle it out. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I can't find it anywhere. Are you sure you can't wit us in? Off the bouncer, convinced, we go to the interior of Mrs. Wu's. The girls walk down a long hallway. So you have no problem just using your body to get what you want. Current feminist theory on sexual enticement as currency supports the idea. In essence, it makes every woman a small business owner. <laughs> they walk through a red velvet cur- curtain that leads them to uh, inside of Mrs. Wu's. Jamie, Tima, and Tawny walk into a swank-ass, Asian-themed members-only club. Cigars and waitresses and pasties. I think I see them in the back. Jamie follows, wide-eyed, as she watches a man lick caviar up a hostess's happy trail and eat salmon nigiri off her nipple. In the back room, they walk into a private room. The guys play poker. Hostesses hover over them. Vince pushes the hostess off of him, caught. Uh, uh, Jamie, uh, ladies, uh, I didn't know you were coming. My God, that's so great. Hey, everyone, uh, the girls are here. Kyle freezes mid-shot. Victor freezes mid-waitress motorboat. (laughs) Ian freezes mid-cigar. Mario is miffed. Sup, guys? Love this place. Love the theme. It's like the great Gatsby, but Asian and slutty. (laughs) To Tima and Tawny. My friends are happy to see me. Mm. Well, I didn't come here to not drink tequila on a weeknight. (laughs) Tawny beelines for the bar. Jamie sees Ryan and walks over. I thought this was just for players. Well, Maria must think I'm, like, super cool and dope or something, I guess. Ugh, go away. Jamie walks toward the poker table where Vince is just lost. God damn it. All right, how was I going to explain? How am I going to explain I lost $1,200, huh? The wife wanted to use that for the ballroom lessons. She's going to rip my fucking nuts off. Sup, dudes? Can I join? It's 200 a hand. Cool. Cool, that's great. Cool. I don't know if you want to get mixed up in this. It's not really a beginner's game. Ryan puts on a pair of Oakleys and a hat and throws down a stack of hundreds pointedly. Will she accept the challenge? Jamie pulls out the only 200 bucks she has and throws them down. Tawny and Tima walk over, curious. Deal me in. Mario raises an eyebrow. He deals the cards. Jamie looks at her hand, a pair of threes. Everyone bets, calls. And shows before we know it, and Mario wins the pot. Three of a kind. Mario rakes it in, enjoying attention from a topless hostess. Sorry, sweetie. Anyone want to take Jamie's seat? No one fucking touch it! 
I'll be right back. In Mrs. Wu's near the bathrooms at the ATM, Jamie checks her balance, $1,076. She takes a deep breath and withdraws $1,000. Jamie walks back to the table and throws the money down. Let's go. Ryan deals. Jamie looks at her hand with secret delight. Three kings. The guys tap for cards. It's Jamie's turn. I'm good. You sure? Because in order to get the best hand, you usually need to... I said I'm good. (laughs) Ryan shrugs and bets $200. Kyle folds. Ian sees it. Mario sees and raises 200. Jamie sees and also raises. Are you sure you want to do that? And that means you think you have a better hand than the rest of us. (laughs) Oh, um, then yes. Show. They do. Jamie's hand wins. Mario examines the cards and pushes the girl off his lap, now paying attention. Did I do that right, Ryan? (laughs) We then see a montage of more hands. Jamie wins another hand, taking Kyle out of the tournament. He kicks over his chair, pissed. Nick sits in the corner, avoiding the scantily clad women. Victor steps into the open spot, gets dealt in. Jamie does a fancy shuffle, and he immediately decides to back out. (laughs) Jamie raises a bet, and Ryan has no choice but to throw in his hat and sunglasses. Jamie wins and does the cabbage patch, gloating in his face, wearing his hat. (laughs) Mario wins a hand. He rakes the chips in, smug. Now, it's just Jamie and Mario. Jamie's pile of chips is smaller than Mario's. We go back to the scene. A crowd has gathered. The hostess, who was previously on Mario's lap, now sits on Jamie's lap. (laughs) As she puffs a cigar. See you and raise... Jamie plunks down her car keys. The crowd ooze. What are you doing? That's all your money and your car. You are acting crazy. Did you do a drug in the bathroom? And if so, do you have any more? Mario stares Jamie down. He has no choice but to push all his chips in. And then he puts down a single key. See you and raise a helicopter. (laughs) Even... Bigger ooze from the crowd. Helicopters are lame, and I don't know how to drive them. I want my office back, unless you're a bitch. This hits a nerve from Mario. The guys go, oh, shit. I'll show you mine if you show me yours, bitch. Mario's pissed. He lays his cards down. A flush is pretty good. Jamie lays her cards down. It's a full house. Winner. Tawny and Tima cheer. Cheer Jamie as Jamie gloats. Mario's waitress kisses her on the mouth. The guys aren't sure how to react. Where are you going to have your crepe parties now? Jamie moonwalks to Mario, who shakes her hand, saving face. Good game. He walks off silently out into the club. Vince is livid. Nice one, Jamie. You hurt his fucking feelings. (laughs) Mario, wait! Vince chases after him. The guys filter out into the club. Wait, you guys are leaving? No, come back. Drinks on me. Team bonding. We can eat sushi off Tiffany's nipples. That's okay, right? The waitress waitress nods. We can eat sushi off Tiffany's nipples. I'll take a spicy tuna hand roll. (laughs) Off of Jamie, realizing she fucked this up. That's the end of act two. Act three, we're interior of the locker room. It's the next morning. Jamie walks into the normal chaos of the locker room. Morning, guys. The guys respond with tepid haze. Uh. Jamie approaches Ryan. 
Sorry, I got a little carried away last night. Here's your stuff back. You want them fair and square? They smell. (laughs) That's the smell of luck, (laughs) and you don't deserve it. He snatches them from her and storms off. Jamie continues on. We're outside Jamie's office. She finds Mario struggling to move the giant Buddha. Can I give you a hand? No, thank you. She hands him a wad of cash. I shouldn't have taken this. It was a friendly game. Not necessary. I have more money. Lots of money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, please, I'd feel The plumbers are coming after lunch to disconnect the jacuzzi and the bidet. I'll be out of here by the end of day. Mario bows aggressively with prayer hands before walking off. On the soccer field, Jamie watches practice and chats to Tima as she warms up for practice. Tawny sits behind them in the bleachers. Well, they're all pissed at me. Well, you did take all their money and call their alpha male bitch. Yeah, they don't like when you do that. What happened to you last night? You tried so hard to prove you were friends that you went past guy's girl and into supervillain. I loved it. (laughs) I I don't know. I think I snapped. My whole life, I've oscillated between wanting guys to like me and proving I could kick their ass, and I'm sick of it. Beginning to think there's no such thing as a guy's girl. Oh, yeah, no. We could have told you that. That's not a thing. Not real. Look, stop trying to impress them, Jamie. It's regressive. But also, you, like, deserve to be here. Just be you, whether they like it or not. You know? But... With better clothes and better hairdo. Um, And I say from experience, Jamie, it's not, it's a lot easier to speak your truth once you take the dick out of your mouth. Oh my God, that's beautiful. I got to write that down. (laughs) Jamie considers this when suddenly Mario goes down, clutching his leg. Jamie rushes over to him, basically racing Ryan. Medic, medic, we need a medic and and, uh, ice and and tape. Okay, let go of your leg. Let let me see what's going on. I'm fine. Let me help you. No. Get away from me. Mario limps off the field. Jamie decides to follow. In the locker room, she approaches cautiously as Mario struggles with his cleats. Can I help? You don't want to help me. You want to bench me. From the moment I got here, you've done everything you can to prevent me from succeeding on that field. What are you talking about? I'm here an hour and you tell the coach I'm not fit to play. You humiliate me in front of my teammates. You take me, you take away my bidet. (laughs) What does your bidet have to do with anything? Perineum hygiene is crucial for optimal athletic performance. Why are you worried about your taint when your leg is jacked? It is not jacked. It's fine. God, what is your deal? Do you get off on emasculating men? Are you mad I don't find you attractive? Or are you jealous that I have a career playing soccer and you don't? I am just trying to do my job. Yeah, well, same. I have eight million million dollars. I have eight million followers on Instagram. I'm the only athlete ever to have two shoe endorsements. I was brought here to lead the team and win the hearts and minds and soccer games of Los Angeles. And your little power player, whatever it is, is not going to cost me everything I've worked so hard for. So fuck your help and fuck you. Jamie is shocked. Mario limps off to the showers. When she turns to leave, she hears the sound of a slip and fall. Then. Fuck! My leg! Jamie rushes into the showers to find Mario. He's wet and naked on the floor, whimpering. His dick is huge. (laughs) Holy shit. Get the fuck out. You can't be in here. And don't look at my dick. She throws him a towel and covers her eyes. I don't want to look, but Jesus, you could see that thing from space. Cover yourself, okay? Ugh. 
Uh, are you decent? Yeah. And do you want my help now or? Yes. Jamie inhales and full on deadlifts Mario off the floor. <laughs> she carries a wet naked Mario through the locker room as the rest of the team files in. What the fuck is happening? Go, go, fucking go. <laughs> as Jamie speeds up, Mario's towel drops and his butt hangs in the wind as Jamie hustles him into the training room. She shuts the door and lays Mario down, covered with a towel. Good news, I can help with the pain. Bad news, I'm going to have to spend some quality time in your groin area with these babies. She holds up some acupuncture needles. Mario pales. No way, it's my knee that hurts, not my dick. You're fucking crazy. Jamie ignores him, swiftly placing the needles. Mario whimpers slightly each time. Vince and Ryan storm in, panicked. Oh God, what the hell happened? And what the hell are you doing to him? I'm releasing the tension in his hip flexor so his knee can realign. It feels better. I'm going to throw up. (laughs) Vince is ecstatic. He claps Jamie on the back. She smiles. Finally a win. Ryan burns with jealousy. (laughs) He feels better. Jamie, what can I say? You are the greatest. Then to Mario. Take the rest of the day off and we'll have a great game tomorrow. And we're going to be back on track, baby. A beat as Jamie realizes what she has to do. Mario can't play tomorrow. This relief is temporary. It's like I said before, he needs rest and intensive PT at least a month. Are you out of your fucking mind? He's our star. The sponsors are going to freak. If Mario continues to play on this injury without treatment, it could seriously affect his career and his lifelong mobility. I can't, in good conscience, allow him to play. Oh, you can't allow him to play. This is my team. I make the calls. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Sorry, guys. Uh, I guess I I could give him Toradol and and some roids. See how that goes. There you go. Thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. (laughs) That's the kind of problem solving and teamwork that we need here. Jesus, Jamie. Why are you always busting my balls? Vince, you know I want to win this year just as much as as you do. But Mario shouldn't play. You know I know what I'm talking about. Why are you taking Ryan's word over mine? Why are you giving me such a problem? You know what? If you don't like it, you can leave. A long beat as Jamie and Vince stare each other down. Are you firing me? Vince gives her a pained look like, don't make me do this. Fine. But just so you know, you're all cowards. And you suck at poker. And your tattoos are dumb. And I'm telling your wife that you ate that waffle. She storms out of the room, and that's the end of Act Three. <laughs> act Four, we're in a bar. Jamie, Tima, and Tawny sit at a high top eating wings. Thanks for inviting me out, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, you were crying in the parking lot, choking on your own snot. I mean, it would have been rude not to. Really rude. I did the thing you said. I, I took the dick out of my mouth. I said what I needed to say, and I got fired from the only job I've ever wanted besides being an actual soccer player. <sighs> what am I going to do? I'm sure there are other jobs you could have, like Lady Footlocker. Lady Footlocker would love you. <laughs> Listen, honey, I've been the only woman in a room full of guys my entire career. I've been ignored, underestimated, yelled at, pinched, 
spanked, slapped, groped. Anthony Scaramucci spit in my mouth. (laughs) But... Oh, no, there's no but. I'm just sharing war stories here. (laughs) A waitress comes over with a plate of potato skins. From the gentleman over there. The gals look and see Mario wave timidly from a booth. Jamie's surprised. Before Jamie can say anything... We accept. At a corner table at the bar, Mario sits across from a very surprised Jamie. I owe you an apology. I misinterpreted your energy. And this whole time I thought you were trying to take something from me, but really you were just trying to protect me. After you stuck the needles in my dick, I FaceTimed with my shaman, and it turns out I have past life trauma with women. Mostly it's fear of witches trying to steal my seed. And I guess, uh, deep down, I guess, I believe that all women either want to fuck me or fuck me over. What? No, that's a guy thing. Men either want to fuck women or fuck women over. I don't think that's the expression. (laughs) Okay, well, anyway, um, I was just doing what I wish someone had done for me, I guess. I guess I have some previous trauma, too, and... Soccer has always been my life, and when I got injured, I played through the pain to show people how tough I was, but as it turns out, being tough got me so injured, I couldn't play anymore. And being a part of this team is as close as I'll ever be to that dream. I thought you were trying to take that from me. Oh, I definitely was. (laughs) I talked mad shit about you behind your back. I started a rumor about you that you had a disease that made you have your period 29 days a month. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy. We were both basically scared of the same thing. But I genuinely wanted to help you, not fuck you over. Mario reaches across the table and takes Jamie's hand. And I genuinely did not want to fuck you. <laughs> I told Vince I'm not playing a single game until you clear me. Only you. You're the only one I can trust. Please. Jamie considers this, and back at the other table, Tawny and Tima crane their necks to see what's happening. Are they going to kiss? And we cut to Vince's office. Jamie sits across from Vince. This looks hard for him. I shouldn't have yelled at you. You were just doing your job. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to say to me? All right, you got to understand something, okay? I wasn't trying to be a jerk. It's just that acquiring Mario is a huge risk. And if it goes south, I don't have a job, and I, can't go, and I cannot go back to Latvia, okay? It's so humid, and the food, honestly, is just potatoes, always. Sounds awful. But, and that is the worst apology I've ever heard. I'm sorry for not trusting you. It's just, I've known you for a long time. You're, well, you're like a, a daughter to me. And maybe sometimes I see you as that instead of who you are. So am I rehired? You're hired. <laughs> Mario knocks on Vince's window and waves to Jamie to come out. In the hallway outside Jamie's office, Mario walks down the hall excitedly. Your office is ready. I think you'll like what I did with the place. What did you do? Mario shows Jamie her new nameplate, Dr. Jamie Burkholder, head physio, L.A. Cosmos. Jamie smiles. Come inside. She walks inside with Mario. She sniffs the air. What's that smell? I saged it. It had weird vibes. And also it smelled like shrimp from the crepes. 
<laughs> she looks around. It's restored to how it was before, except... The hot tub is still in here. Thought you deserved an upgrade. I say this with love. You're a little uptight. Nothing like a soak to ease all those tensies away. I get the water imported from Esalend, but you'll want to find the water source that works best for your needs. <laughs> wow, thank you. And that is not all. He runs outside the office. Where are you going? Jamie then hears a knock on the wall. There's a door with a bow on it. She goes to open it. Mario is on the other side. I moved into Ryan's office so we could be neighbors. Soak buddies. Oh, that that's... Uh... Awesome, right? Yeah. You're so, you're so welcome. Mario walks to the hot tub and casually takes his clothes off. I got to tell you, I'm really stoked about this new vibe you've brought into my life, Jamie. Most women I meet, I fuck immediately. I can't help it. They can't help it. But, but with you, I feel nothing. Fully naked, Mario gets into the hot tub. Who would have thought that I, Mario would one day have a female friend. Just then, Nacho, the equipment manager, walks by and looks in. Yeah, I can't compete with this. He walks off beaten. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to developing a very special and close relationship with you, J-Dog. Can I call you J-Dog? Or maybe Dr. J is better. Anyway, I'm really, really glad we're going to be friends. Me too. If you're going to come in, I'd give it a sec. I'd, I had some of that quiche earlier. Off, off Jamie's tight smile, not sure what she's just gotten herself into, we end the episode. We are so thrilled at your interest in attending Hieronymus Wiggenstaff's School for Heroism and Villainy. Wiggenstaff's beautiful campus boasts state-of-the-art facilities and instructors with real-world experience. We are also proud to say that our alumni have gone on to be professional heroes and villains in the most renowned kingdoms in the world. But of course, you are not applying to the main school, are you? You're applying for our sidekick and henchperson annex. You will still benefit from the school's amazing campus and you'll have a lifetime of steady employment. Of course, there's no guarantee how long that lifetime will be. Join the McRoys as they return to Dungeons & Dragons with The Adventure Zone Graduation every other Thursday on Maximum Fun or wherever podcasts are found. So I'm here with... Bridget Munoz Leibowitz. There you go. Yeah. Um, and we're here to talk about training room. And I'm going to start. It was kind of tough, but I'm going to start. I'm telling you my favorite joke. Okay. Because um, this joke just, I just love this joke so much. It's Mario um, with you know, the full line, which is like, oh, wow, a woman in a men's locker room breaking the glass ceiling. Hashtag time's up. I love it. And then this line, you know, I'm on the board of For Better or Words, we teach women who have had abortions how to read. <laughs> that line is so just delicious and great. Thanks. Um, even you know, his other line, his, his first line when he's his, the, after three days of this camp, like, um, <laughs> so funny. But yeah, I was trying to create a kind of narcissist that was different somebody who was like lovable still i feel like a lot of times when you have like um a comedy villain they're almost a little bit arch and it was fun to give him the the sort of like ultra spiritual woo woo look at me i'm so great i want to be like bono sort of 
guy, but he just misses the mark. He doesn't quite get yeah. the value of what he's doing. Yeah, of yeah. His spirituality, <laughs> the shallowness of his spirituality is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we just think about when you got shot and just everything <laughs> is just so sort of well-meaning from a guy who just has his head so up his ass. Yeah. It's really fun. So um, before, let's start kind of, at, let's tell your origin story first. Ooh. How do you, where are you from? How do you get into show business? Mm-hmm. I'm from a weird little town called Santa Clarita, California, which um, is about 40 minutes outside of the center of Los Angeles. So just close enough to be so tantalizing, far enough that you feel like you're not part of the world at all. And a uh, very weird place. There's like a lot of studio stuff. There's movie ranches and stuff and and stages, but also there's the clan. <laughs> and um, my last name, Munoz Leibowitz, I, I stood out. It was like a very white place. And that's my birth name. That's I'm not even that's not my married name or anything. That's my name. So, um, yeah, I'm no one in my family ha- was in the industry. Nobody had any connections. I, as a kid, desperately wanted to act. And my mom was like, no, you'll get raped. Like, I can't let you do that. And it's like a very, she's a very protective mom in general, which I feel like that's like a very sort of like Latina mom trope anyway. Like you keep, no one, let, you don't let anyone near your kids kind of a thing. So I was like, all right, what's the next closest thing? And I wasn't really allowed to watch a lot of TV growing up either. My mom's an educator and she really believed in like books and music and like uh, lessons for things and not so much like sitting in front of a TV. But my dad's mom who lived in New York and that's my bubby, my Jewish grandma, um, really loves movies and television. So she would send me contraband, like videotapes of shows of sitcoms, old movies, and I would like secretly watch them. And some of the shows that she would send me were like Full House and Family Matters. And I just became totally obsessed with sitcoms. And eventually my mom relented and we had like television. And I remember just well, friends, actually, the first time I ever saw friends being like, I can't, I can't, I literally can't believe how funny this is and how cool these characters are. And oh my God, I just want to be just like them. But is it one up? Is that I want to be like them or do I want to do that? And that sort of like started the inkling of like, can I? I write for in my mind it was movies and TVs were all like one thing I was like I want to write screenwrite that's what I want to do and nobody knew how to advise me or guide me towards that and and so I just started to do whatever I could that was in that milieu which was uh, AV club in junior high and I was the president of Kid Flicks at Placerita Junior High. I'm going to shout out to Mr. Cass, who <laughs> is still doing it. But really and truly, he, I don't even know how he got so educated on this, but we had a morning news program, which was cool. But more than anything, we used to film all of the like plays and concerts in a multicam style setup. We had like three or four cameras and I would do live editing. I do switch, I had to switch. switch Yeah, it was super cool. And um, that just sort of fed into the interest to learn more and more and more. And event, I became like sort of my goal to go to USC. I didn't know anything about where I should go, but I'd heard that was a good school. And so uh, I applied when I was not even done with high school. They used to have a program where you could go one year early. And I applied and I didn't really tell my parents I was doing it. And then I got in, they were like, you're doing what? You're going where to do what? And uh, I did that. And that was. So you were how old when you get to college? I was 17. Well, just turned 17. 
and um, they had to put us in a special dorm for underage people and didn't really do much good. I think everyone did what they wanted to do anyway. But um, yeah, it was a cool program, I guess. But I think I was too young to really appreciate it. Like I didn't really have stories to tell. So I was like writing imagined things like what it would be like to fall in love and lose someone or i wasn't like i didn't know what my tone or my voice was yet i certainly so the program you're in is is what? was writing for screen and television okay. they call it cinematic writing now but it was writing for screen and television and i certainly didn't know that i was funny or that i could do comedy yet um i think looking back like probably that was always in there but i just never heard the concept of a comedy writer like had never been introduced to me and then I had to take an improv class because of requirements. And then I was like, oh, shit, like this is this is the jam. This is what I love. And so it sort of started, started to refine my taste and what I like to watch and what I like to write. But when I graduated, I was like 21 and nobody wanted to hire me because I had no life experience, especially not to write. And my writing was bad at that point, even though I thought it was amazing. So I was like, well, what am I going to do to keep furthering this goal? My parents were... Did you come out of school with spec scripts? With Yeah, I wrote four. It's funny. I was just telling the story to someone. I wrote four. I had four scripts. I had like two features. And I had a couple sitcom specs. Like from oh, a wonderful teacher. This was the These are the best classes I ever took. It was with Fred Rubin who taught sitcom writing. And that was just like... I get this like it clicks I totally understand how to do this I understand the formula I get how to write a joke like it was game changing for me so I came out of school with those but nobody wanted to read an episode of Will and Grace from a 21 year old they just didn't care they were like what's your feature idea like what do you want to do and so I had these weird quirky dumb indie comedy type stuff that people were like that's you can't make any money on that like that's forget it so nobody represented me. I had classmates that got agents and managers and I came out of that being like, hey, nobody likes my writing. And I was like, oh no, I'm not gonna make it. I gotta figure out another way in. So I had been working, my day job was at the American Film Institute with the directing workshop for women. And I um, was sort of like a production coordinator. I helped them file insurance paperwork and get their equipment and then made friends with the producing students who were in grad school there and kind of saw what they were doing. And I was like, I think I could do that. And so they pulled me onto some projects and like taught me how to do some of those jobs. And I was like, line producing, interesting. Hmm. All right, if I learn how to do this, then maybe I could like eventually make my own thing. And then I wouldn't have to wait for an agent or a manager or a producer to be like, yes, I could just say yes. So I applied to grad school at uh, Columbia for the producing program. Again, told my parents, I'm going to grad school. They're like, oh my God, it's amazing, thank God. You're gonna be a doctor, lawyer, what are you gonna be? I'm like, no, film producer. They're like, fuck, like you're just not getting it. Like this is not a job that pays. But I went and incurred serious financial debt from the program, but I have to say, for me, it was super worth it. I met all my collaborators who I work with now. In grad school, I made a bunch of short films that like made a profit. I've, How does that happen? I don't know. I guess it was miraculous, but we I made um, a film that I was able to finance through grants and we sold it to hello. Right. We sold we sold it to um a French distributor. And in Europe, they actually watch short films and TV channels pay to air them. And we made our budget back and then some and then that sort of became something where I was like, oh, I do know how to do this and I can at a, at a small scale make this work. And oh, I do know how to develop a story with someone. And 
kind of like dicked around in that world for a while, did development for a minute. But I graduated and was just like doing commercial, producing commercials and um, UPMing like indie features and things just to like make money while I was like, okay, now how do I translate this into TV writing? Because in a way I had taken a step back or at least like a lateral step yeah. to the side. You weren't on a common path. No, but I, but I was in the comedy universe there as a groupie. I had, was dating someone who was a, a comic there and in that world got to know other comedians and desperately like wanted to get up there and do it. I just didn't have like a ton of the confidence really that I could do it just because I had, nobody had ever been like, yeah, you should try this. You should do this. But I was like, it was gnawing away at me. And I was like, let me just, let me see what I can do. And so I had this wonderful line producing mentor um, who I, I just basically made a list of everybody I knew who maybe worked tangentially in film or television. I wrote emails explaining, I look at, I like producing, but I really want to move into TV. Do you know anyone who can help me make a lateral move? Like I'll take a step back, but at least like I have skills. Can I translate them into TV production at least? And luckily my line producing mentor was like, yeah, actually I'm about to go on this pilot called person of interest in New York. You'll have to take a bunch of steps back, but yeah, I'll bring you on. And so I was the production secretary for like a week. But then it was a bad robot show and they have very high security for all of their scripts. And so this was like a very high profile project for them. And so they wanted a script coordinator who could code and encrypt every single script that went out on distro all the time. And also help make the changes for all the drafts with the AD department. And I happened to know movie magic, budgeting and scheduling, which was like the skill that I had from producing. Somehow was really lucky that that skill got me that job, even though I had no script coordinating experience whatsoever. But I learned on the job how to put out drafts and do revisions, but simultaneously like program them to like have encryption and coded. And so we knew if the script got out who we could fire, you know? Right, it's watermarked. Exactly, all that stuff. And then um, help in real time with revisions with the creator, Jonah Nolan, make changes with the AD department so they could be caught up on their strips. So it was a really fun experience. And so while I was there, I was like, well, here's an opportunity. It's a drama. It's a procedural sci-fi drama, which is not exactly comedy, but it's TV. So like, let me just write something in case it gets picked up. And I had a feeling it would because it was so good. And I was like, let me just write, I'll write the next episode of this show because I know the script backwards and forwards. It was like either that, I know they tell you never write the spec of the show you want to work on. But I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. Like, I'm gonna, what am I gonna do? Watch a hundred episodes of House and like write that when I could just do this. So I wrote an episode of the show and they got picked up. I wrote to them and I was like, hey, remember me? Uh, I'd love to be considered for staff writer, writer's assistant, anything. Here's a little script I wrote. Would you read it? And they were so generous and so sweet. They were very tickled. They were like, yeah, come out to Did LA. Did you sign any kind of... No, it, those two guys are so chill. Like right. they, they were just like, they probably didn't even read it to be honest. Maybe they did, but they ended up being like, yeah, you could be our writer's assistant for sure. And so it was a Monday when they got picked up and they were gonna start right away. And they said, hey, can you be out here by Wednesday? And so I left my boyfriend, my apartment, all my stuff with the, you know, they're like, oh, my boyfriend was like, oh, I'll bring, I'll bring everything to LA in a couple of weeks, be there soon. And so I was like, great. And I came out here and luckily, cause I'm from here, I had places to stay. And um, 
I uh, landed here and started my job and I was like, all, I went from being so far from what I wanted to do to being so close in like a matter of two days, which was incredible. And I, I worked, <laughs> I worked there for like a month and then my boyfriend, of course, broke up with me and I had a fresh start here <laughs> in L.A. And you never brought your stuff out. No, I had <laughs> my dad had to shake him down for all my stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was here and I worked on that show for about two and a half seasons. And it was such a, an incredible learning experience. Like I learned how to break story from incredibly experienced drama writers. And that gave me such a great exposure to structure and how important it is and how the twists and turns of every act. And it was great. Meanwhile, I was prepping to be like, well, how do I now? Okay, I'm here in, in TV drama. How do I get over to TV comedy? So I was like, let me just take some classes. Let me do those things that everyone else has done, like go to Groundlings, go to like finish UCB, go to IO, write sketch packets, write late night packets, do all the stuff to be prepared and then start writing specs and pilots and applying to the diversity lab. So I was doing all that while I was working on person of interest. And then... Um, because for people that don't know, I mean, oh, yeah. that's a big chasm between yeah. drama world and comedy world. It's not like it's very easy to move between those worlds. Maybe more so now. At the time, it was very separate. Nobody, I would ask the writers, hey, do you, can you maybe show my sample to a rep of yours? And they'd be very willing, but none of their agents would rep comedy, comedy writers. And so, but now because I think there's like transparent, which is sort of like, comedy drama or like the genres are mixing so much more now that maybe there's some yeah, more i think the movement still though is probably a little bit more comedy people being brought onto dramas the yeah, dramas that right. want to make sure that there's a lot of comedy will bring in some comedy people i mean it happens somewhat the other mm -hmm. way but but it's, yeah. it's a less common i think you're, i think you're right about that so i was seeing that it was going to be tough for me to stay on that show and I decided I had to take a risk and try to get on as an assistant on another comedy. And so I left the show, which was super sad. Everyone's still so friendly and nice to this day. Whenever I see them, we get together sometimes too. And um, I took a chance. I was like, let me just open myself up to the possibility of taking another job. And so I took a vacation. Like I drove on my fun employment check. I like drove up to the San Juan Islands and worked on a farm for a while and wrote something while I was there. And then when I was up there, I got a call from uh, the husband of one of the writers on Person of Interest who was a comedy writer. And he was starting on a sitcom called Jackson and Braddock, which was this Kelsey Grammer, Martin Lawrence, 1090 for FX okay. by Bob Boyette and, and Robert Horan. 1090 to explain yeah. to people was this, I don't know if they were even doing them anymore, but it was this thing where you make 10, and if they did well, they would pick it up for another 90 episodes. Which is and incredible job Tyler security. Perry had sort of pioneered this, and I guess the best-known one is Anger Management. Yeah, with Charlie Sheen. Yeah. So, yeah, so they brought me on to do that, and it was like another dream coming true because I got to work with Bob Boyette, who had done all the sitcoms that first made a huge impression sure, on me. Full House. And could, a more delightful man does not exist in Did this. Did you do Full House? Am I right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. All those TGIF shows. Yeah, all the TGIF shows. Yeah. Lovely people, and it was a, this was a cool experience, too, because it was a room full of comedy OGs people who had written on everything every late night show mad tv and snl and i but everyone was like 65 plus <laughs> so it was just like i got like eight uncles inst instantly and it was incredible and there was one female writing team uh, who had written on big love and i was obsessed with that show too it's just like I, I got to be around so many writers who i respected and admired and learned from and um 
I was on that show for like a month and a half, maybe when I got a word that I got into the NBC diversity program. And I guess I'll kind of explain diversity programs or. Sure. Sure. So the diversity programs, like a couple studios networks have them. Um, they're designed, they're like labs. So you, you apply and you submit a spec um, and of a show that's currently on the air and it's a bunch of other ap- college application style essays and things. And they select like between 10 to 12 people and you are part of a workshop. And in the time that you're in the workshop, you're meant to write something new and then they'll try to help staff you on a show. And I guess I should go back in time for a minute to explain how I got my first agent, which was not through any of these avenues at all, which was actually through a short film that I produced with a good friend of mine. And we were in Napa for the film festival there and somebody saw it and he was an assistant who had just left a management firm to like strike out on his own and become a manager so literally had a client i might have been number two but he was like let me rep you and i was like great because i nobody will pay attention to me even if you don't have a name yourself just to say that i have somebody awesome and so he and i were strategizing and he was looking through my facebook and saw that i was friends with a, a an agent at caa that we'd gone to college together and um he was like why don't you just email her and ask if she will read you and i was like well yeah i guess i should do <laughs> i should probably do that and she read me and she was like the sample's really good you should i can't take you on as a client but if you get a job i'll rep you and i was like well how do i get a job and she was like mm. I don't know, but I guess low key she was submitting me for things. And um, while I was in this workshop for, for NBC Writers on the Verge, I got an interview for Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, they some, someone had to be replaced, and they were looking for a Latina level staff writer. And so my sample is funny. Ironically, I wrote when I was on Person of Interest. The Taraji Henson's character on Person of Interest is a cop and she's a female in law enforcement. And it was my part of my job as a writer's assistant to research what that was like. And in the process, I came up with an idea of a female, like a, it was called Lady Cops, my, my first pilot that I ever wrote. And it, when I, it was a, basically a Parks and Rec or Office style comedy set in, in the police uh, department. And it just, when, when I read Brooklyn Nine-Nine that year, when it came out, I was like, oh, I'm so fucked. Like, I, there's no way I can compete with this show. Like, my pilot's worth nothing now. And it ended up being the thing that was appropriate for them to read that ended up getting me the job. So that is how, that's my origin story. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Tw- a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. So you, okay, so you got hired as a staff writer mm-hmm. on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes. Um, and you were there for? Seasons one and two. Okay. And then uh, did not get asked back for the third season, which was a huge like I didn't couldn't even fathom it like just devastating horrifying terrifying experience was ill-prepared it happened like a week before the room started so it was kind of like a last-minute decision I totally had missed staffing and had to figure out like what the fuck to do for (laughs) my life and I was like oh shit like that that old fear came back from before like oh I'm not gonna be able to do this like how can I figure this out so I started I got a job teaching uh, TV and I delivered Instacart and I was very, very frugal. I mean, I had some savings, but like wasn't like a lot because 
you can bl- yeah blow through staff when you also a very stupid mistake as a staff writer i was like i'm fucking rich right, like right. i've got just it made buy- i'll just be working for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah so did- and a staff writer doesn't make a lot no i mean it's a, it was a lot by comparison to what i had been making before it was literally like seven times or six times as much as i was making as an assistant but it was like i didn't factor in that i had would have to start paying back my student loans and all that stuff so anyway did that for about a year while developing something which for no money of course so like whenever you like i had had a, i was developing a, a sitcom a workplace comedy about nuns with jim parsons and warner brothers again another like cool but intimidating experience i had no experience pitching and um did that while i was sort of waiting for staffing to happen again and um and did that sell to we didn't sell it. No, we, we just pitched it a bunch of places and got a lot of maybes. I think that was at the time a function of the fact that Warner Brothers couldn't sell to Amazon or Hulu at that time. They right. didn't have a, a an agreement or whatever they called it, a format template. or a template. Yeah, yeah. So it was a cable show for sure. And um, they were like, can we make this a multi? And I was like, eh, I don't know <laughs> if I can do that. So um Norm Hiscock, who was a writer on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but also on Parks and Rec and King of the Hill, just another comedy person, legend, I think, um, brought me on to a show that he was show running called People of Earth. And um, that was uh, my, my second job. I was so happy and grateful, not only to just be working, but also lo- loved the show. It was created by this guy, David Jenkins, and uh, Conica was producing it. And it was with just Conan O'Brien's. Yeah, yeah. And that was a real, another dream. It was such a great staff and such a fun, sh- weird little show. And um, I got to go to Toronto to produce a bunch of episodes. That was my first time being, not my, well, I did it for Brooklyn, but this was like, I was actually helpful for the, on this show, producing stuff. Because right, so. the, the writer's room was in LA. And, yep. and so whoever's episode it was gets sent on location. Or, no, or they were too cheap to do that. So they would, they basically had just sent out the creator and the showrunner but it was not too big of a job i think for them to be in post and be on set and be doing revisions so they asked if i would come out for the last line producer exactly yeah so that was really awesome and i got to shadow and produce an episode that greg daniels was directing which was amazing and he was just so incredible and taking me under his wing and like showing me what he was doing and what his process was and like he's such a good teacher it likes to really like explain and um help grow your experience, I guess. So that was another amazing thing. And I got to do that for three seasons. The third season of the show didn't shoot. We got canceled after we wrote the whole season, which was a massive bummer, but that was part of the restructuring of TBS and Warner Media and whatever that's gonna be now on streaming. So, um, and then I went from that to a show called Oh, that's where sort of this came in. This was part of a blind deal, blind script this, I had with this being training, training room. room. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, tell us now we're caught up to that. Yes. So when I, my sec, basically when, when people that got renewed for season three, we renegotiated my deal to include a, a blind script because they didn't want to pay me more money. So they're like, here and have a blind script. And a blind script, which I've probably explained yeah. on other episodes, but uh, it's kind of like we haven't settled on what the idea is but we're going to pay you to write a pilot about something mutually agreed upon. Yeah, exactly. But I didn't have any ideas. And actually I was kind of like, 
I'll think about it later because the show was so busy. We were doing so much to like produce a show long distance from Canada. We had a new line producer and we were going to have to change stages and we actually had to replace our lead. And it was like, there was a lot to do that I was included in, which I was so grateful. Um, The showrunner that season, Aaron Shore, again, also included me in the process. I've been very lucky to have bosses who are wonderful at delegating and and, um, really inclusive, especially in terms of like, this is going to sound, it almost, it doesn't, it's not, almost not relevant anymore because people have made such a, it is relevant, but made a big push to be more inclusive of, of women in leadership roles in TV. But these guys were ahead of that movement even. They were just doing it because they were wanting help and wanting to teach someone. And um, so, yeah, it was included in that sort of, in that role, which was so great. And um yeah, didn't have time to think of what to write. Also, it felt like imaginary money, like because I wasn't actually getting paid until I wrote it. I was like, well, whatever, like maybe. Yeah. But they kept sending me ideas being like, hey, do you want to adapt this zombie comedy? And I was like, nope, not for me. Or, hey, do you want to how about this uh, doctor murder thing? And I was like, no. But when they finally sent, they literally just sent me a sentence. They were like, do you like women in sports and i was like yes that is a thing i like because most of the stuff i write ends up being about women in men's worlds i wonder why (laughs) so that was something that was of interest to me and i'd already explored it in law enforcement with lady cops my sample i was like let me see what what this is like in a world of sports and i like basketball and i've that was sort of like right after women's soccer was just like blowing up and i was so into what they were doing and how they were changing like the face of gender equality in sports and so the producer of this project is robbie rogers who is married to greg berlanti and robbie is a former professional soccer player in addition to being a brilliant producer and very lovely person so he had this sort of loose idea he's like i want to set something in soccer i worked with this female physiotherapist when i was training and just with seeing what she went through like there's got to be a comedy there like a woman in a men's locker room like absolute there's there's comedy there and i was like yes for sure there's comedy there so i went into berlanti and i did a little pitch about what i thought it would be which was kind of like a similar idea in a way to lady cops but not quite because it's a totally different dynamic and um yeah we sort of grew the story from there and we went in to pitch it to Warner Bros because they had to sign off on the idea and they did. And then we were working on the pitch for quite a while, a lot of rehearsing. Um, we decided it was going to be a cable play. Can you hear me burping into this mic? I feel like <laughs> I have a lot. We'll take that out. Coffee burps. Yeah. Um, leave it in. It's yeah. charming. <laughs> so um, we uh, developed that and pitched it and we sold it to the first place we pitched it, actually, which was Hulu. And um, and so you're what was that pitch like? I mean, oh, yeah. does Robbie come and, and give some soccer stories? And yeah, or is it just he, you pitching? No, we went in together and he um, helped with an intro, sort of setting the stage about the world because he could give it firsthand because he had been there. And it added some legitimacy to my pitch, which I've like I can barely like kick a ball. So <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, very helpful for him to be there. And we would do a thing in the beginning where we would sort of 
there was a script beforehand which we both learned and you know we would have note cards to help us remember stuff but we had practiced it and to make it seem like it was very casual and so we had that beginning part but once we had the intro out of the way it was just me talking for 25 minutes about all the characters the character bios um what drives them what's funny about them who they are what we see like their arc is from beginning of the season to the end of the season and then i'd pitch the rough beats of the pilot story like what that would be and then you know you pitch the possible episodes moving forward and that all and takes like 30 minutes five minutes and like by the time you get like flop sweat just like exhausted you've blacked out you don't remember <laughs> what you even said you think people laughed but i feel like i i'm sure it's not the case but whenever i pitch something i just feel like it's silent like i never get a laugh this is like a room full of people just like looking just deeply into your eyes while you're just trying not to spit on them i guess from talking so much so yeah that was that experience but it, it got sold and we developed that for two cycles with hulu um the first time that was because i was on another show i just didn't have a ton of time to submit the documents needed and Timothy I got to like outline the first deadline but they were really nice and understanding about it and then we developed it a second time um to sort of make it what are the more cable-y I think was the thing that they said which to me I guess is why there's so many dick jokes in in the script so um I was like sure I could make it bluer yeah um but I don't think ultimately that's what they were quite looking for but um yeah, that process, the development, that was, this is my first time going through the notes process with develop, developing and... Because this is, I mean, really, yeah, so it's your first pilot that you're mm-hmm. doing where you're you're having to get all those notes. Yeah. And, and it sounds like you still don't really, you, you were getting a sense from them that they wanted something, but you still don't quite know what that, something different, but you don't know yes. what that was. Yeah. Your interpretation was edgier. I guess. And I think that that was part of what they were looking for. But I I think the thing about notes is that some people are really good at giving them and some people are really good at hearing them and vice versa. People are not good at giving them. People are not good at hearing them. And I think both parties involved were good at giving them. I just but everyone has their own sort of language. So it's all about like interpreting and kind of there's some intuiting and reading between the lines and guessing because it's they'll say things like um, I just want her to feel stronger and but do you mean like like with an emotional drive do you mean like in her dialogue do you mean or the things like like that like more strength here or look at this area but they don't really say what i'm looking for and i think the more you do this the more in tune you probably become with understanding the notes speak and I, there was a lot, but there was also a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And I think there's a lot of different opinions and they don't always agree. So you have to sort of decide well, who, who is the master I'm really trying to serve at this point. And I think there's also an art to learning which notes to take and which not to take. And I'm not sure I fully understood that I could not take some notes. So that was a big learning process too. But I have to say Hulu was a real, they were always get very intelligent interesting notes that did make the script better so that you remember some of the things some of the changes you made based on their <sighs> gosh not not specifically i'd have to i have emails that i could look through right. and, and tell you but yeah um so were there 
are there things that, you know in the script that you remember since that you did because you felt like you had to take a note? I mean, do, do you remember how it changed? The main ways yes. it changed over the course of writing it? Yeah, it was for a while. We were really, really trying to have it be three acts, cold open, three acts tag, but because that's what felt most natural to the structure. But I guess it was really important that it be teaser, four acts, and a tag, which. When I heard it out loud the other day, I was like, oh, there to me, it felt like I had to find act breaks where there really weren't any and they wanted them to be on plot and not on a joke. And so I feel like I have the same beat a couple of times in the script. That one for me was just like sort of glaringly obvious. And I was like, are you sure you guys don't want to But um, that that to me is the one I remember the most. Um, I think also they gave me some really good notes about advocating for tweaking the archetype of the character so it wasn't something we'd seen before and they really pushed for something different for all of the leads so it wasn't um yeah wasn't trope right yeah um yeah it's uh it's an art to figuring out how to deal with those now it sounds like you had pretty good experiences for the most part in these mostly male writers rooms i mean this does feel like okay um this is a way of talking about being in the very the very male world that Mm -hmm. you work in Mm -hmm. being a female in a mostly male world which which you mentioned Mm -hmm. um but you know for your character here she's really dealing with um a lot of okay this is boys only we're just doing this boys only thing and the flashback to the playboys and and all that is that something that you have felt that so you've experienced that to some i extent? have and i'm not even talking about shows i've worked on after that ones i've talked about but not i'm not going to call any particular show out but it, it i yes and it always it always surprises me. It wasn't a surprise in the beginning of my career when that would happen because I kind of expected it. It was a bummer to not be included in like the cliques of Harvard white guys, for example. Like that's just an untouchable or Harvard in general is like its own little clique. And like it's not like I went to I didn't go to a dog shit school. Like I went to Columbia like it's not terrible. Um, but and not that that matters, like some of the best writers I know fucking didn't finish high school and they're fucking geniuses. So like it doesn't really matter where you go to school, but there is this sort of like um, like premium put on the Harvard Lampoon, for example. That's just like um, they're clicky. And, you know, I'm sure I'm sure for them it's not intentional, but it, at times it definitely felt intentionally sure. exclusive. Or it's a shared language and it's just a shared experience that sure. can't help but feel clicky. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then um, I felt that a lot with more also with directors, with male directors who like not for nothing. Like I have a lot of experience, both features and TV at this point in my career. Like I didn't always have it, but I do now. And to encounter someone who's a guest director on a show who is dismissive of something you're saying because you have experience with the show and in post and multiple seasons that's shitty um and that's definitely gender based i think i would see that person interact with other males on the staff and different responses and um yeah that i mean but i have to say it's more positive than than negative but the negative experiences do really stand out because they make you reflect on why and 
got to let it out somehow. So yeah, in lieu right. of punching anyone, I think. I mean, because yeah. this is—I don't think this is really a show. Training room is not really about sports. It really no, is not. about how, as a woman, do you function in a predominantly male yeah. um, work environment? Do you try and be a guy's girl? Mm-hmm. You know, do how much do you advocate for yourself? How tough can you be? How do you know? That, that's really what this yeah. show is about. It is about. And you have mix. and Tawny and Tima are there, you know, to give perspectives. So, I mean, those to me, those scenes where the three those three women are discussing. The difference of strategies mm-hmm. that's the that's the heart of this show yeah absolutely that that was the primary focus for me which is the i and this was hap- i was writing this sort of like in the wake of the election as well where i was so shocked to find that so many women voted for trump and all the dif- all the different like iterations but iterations of feminism like white feminism where it's like sort of like top of mind and I, I was sort of like well how do we like reconcile all these views because you can't really say that your way is the right way like all these other women have their ways of surviving and it's important to sort of see all the different female experiences just because we're divided by maybe like our political ideology or whatever um doesn't mean we're not all trying to get at least some semblance of equality. I, I do know women who would be like, no, women, no, I'm okay not being an equal. Like, you know, God made men for a reason and our job is to support them. Like, I've heard that. And, and you know, but it's important to still hear that and sort of discuss that and, and make comedy of that as well. Um, and secondary, I think, was the idea of not leaving the guys out of it because their story, I think, is important too. The idea of them having to realize that the world is changing and that they need to find a way to adapt as well or they're going to get sort of left behind in a way i think there is such little tolerance now at least in my circles of tv writing jokes that would have flown before don't get said anymore a lot of the time and or we at least be like jokingly be like haha me too hashtag me too i think people are just less and less willing to tolerate things and people are <clears throat> quick to cancel. And I think guys, that story is also interesting. And how do you, I think both genders have so much part to play in creating this new you know, world that we're trying to make. And Mario, I think was gonna be like, oh, woman friend, like I've never had that. And I wanted to put a positive spin on it because I do feel like a lot of the time there is this rhetoric of like women hate men and they just want to cancel all men, which I certainly <laughs> don't feel. But uh, I think that's out there, and I wanted to take the stink off of that for this story. Right. Yeah. But none of these male characters are particularly enlightened. No, right? no, no. <laughs> um, Not yet. Right. Not yet. So, I mean, you kind of, you know, they all have a ways to go for various. They're on a. And so does Jamie, though. And Jamie does yeah, too. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're all on a continuum, but none of them are that far down yeah. the continuum. Whereas, you know, I feel like between Tawny, Tima, and Jamie, there's almost sort of different waves of feminism. Yes, that exactly. That, you know, Very astute. <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, but that, you know, Vince and Brian and, you know, and Ian, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just like these guys are all pretty unreconstructedly sexist. Yes, um, in very different ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, so in the time you've been writing in TV, you know, since Me Too mm-hmm. has happened. I mean, so you sense, uh, you know, being in a room now, um, 
you you feel there has been a sort of seismic shift about you know behavior in in a writer's room from when you started massive writing. massive it might just be my experience i don't i would have to ask other women and men what what their experiences have been i might just be fortunate to be in the couple of rooms that are have progressive people who are allies of the cause so i don't know if my read is exactly the case but yeah for sure but then it's always like two steps forward one step back like you'll get in you'll have two great shows and then you'll be like oh no this thing happened or someone said this thing revealed a perspective that you didn't know was maybe operating the whole time underneath and you're sort of piecing together like the usual suspects like ending you're like oh no that's what they said oh they actually oh oh, they believe something different than they were projecting actually so like you know it's not perfect but i do notice a big shift i feel like people are more willing to listen and be sensitive and the jokes we're aiming we have a different standard for jokes now i think right it's you know none of like the take my wife type stuff (laughs) as much anymore but there's you know more character-based stuff so but in terms of that so a writer's room require a comedy writer's room requires a certain freewheeling yes um a freedom to yeah uh to throw out bad ideas to you know to shock people to get the energy up in a room by saying you know you and have you felt that um there's a trade-off in the uh this this fear of cancellation Mm -hmm. this fear of that has it uh are people managing um to to navigate that and it's still the room is fun yeah i think so i think um i may be don't say everything that comes to mind immediately, but that's probably good because I have a lot of stupid ideas. But I don't think, I at least what I've encountered, I think the kind of person who gravitates towards comedy anyway is someone who is generally open to hearing people and not necessarily having to agree with them or hearing them and being able to mentally write them off as an asshole or hearing them and being like, oh, um, that person's dangerous and I'm just going to move on. Or I think it, it, it's an interesting space because there are absolutely things that are actionable <laughs> that go on for sure. But for me, and, it, and I've experienced a couple of them, but it was sort of up to me to decide like, okay, do I want to do that? Or is there a way that I can speak with this person one-on-one and clearly like sometimes there's not. And sometimes you do have to, you know, take measures to protect yourself and others. But I think there is the implicit understanding that we're in a writer's room. We're talking all day long. We can communicate and say openly, okay, that maybe not that, you know, but it's tough. I don't, I'm not an expert. I think everyone's just navigating, but I don't think we're definitely not short on comedy because we're trying to be more sensitive of other people's feelings. Yeah. I I think that Todd Phillips, you know, oh, yeah. comedy, I mean, it's such bullshit. It's it is bullshit. Like, there's yeah. so many things to point to. It's just like, how can you, mm-hmm. how can you say that there's all this incredible comedy yeah. being made? And, um, and it's true that a lot of the best comedy being made right now is by women. You, know, you look at, you know, but for me, you know, Pen15 or Fleabag, or oh this is like, yeah. these are, you know, Broad City, like these are the, these are the sharpest, best things being, yeah. being made. It's not true across the board, but I, I think, um, it is, uh, you know, it, it's for me. You, you being in a room, it, it is. There's a 
that little extra thought like, oh, this might be a stupid thing I might say just to get the energy in the room up. Yeah. And it's just like, you know what? There's other ways to do that. And it's, you know, it doesn't need to be said. And this probably could, you know, it's like what you said. There are things that are actionable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> If in a transcript, but that are really yes. that are actually fine yeah. because it's about the trust that everyone has and and knowing that where people's hearts are intention and yes yes it's yeah. intention and so um, those th- that extra bit of thought I think is probably largely a good thing mm-hmm. and th- and then there's times where I think well it's also nice that the the id that can just get you to great places in a comedy room yeah. where you're not self-censoring and stuff is coming out and you don't want to lose that because you can completely because it can get you to great places yeah and it's just finding a way to do that where um i think rooms have gotten better about being include like truly inclusive not mm-hmm. feeling like oh we hired a couple women so job you know, mission yeah. accomplished like yeah. they're here which doesn't mean we have to take any of their pitches or listen to them or include them. We hired them. So yeah. that's all we had to do. I do hear about that happening a lot, though. Actually, Not a lot. But I've heard about that happening recently, I'll say. Yeah. From some people on some pretty big shows who were like, I just sat there all day. And I sat there. No one wanted to hear anything I had to say. I guess that's still that's still happening. It's still happening. It's probably yeah. also certainly happening with the, with diversity hires. Of you know, yeah, you can get that first job when you're free because that happens a lot. That there's a you know some mm-hmm. diversity program doesn't cost the show any money. Yeah, and then once they are ready to move up and you have to pay them, that it ends there, mm-hmm. and that still is is yep. going on. Yeah, um, and there's so many years of the history of this business that we still have to you know make it up for mm-hmm. and it's just when I'm, you know people have said like you know it hasn't come up a lot but it's just like how many you know the diversity of the writers we have you know on this show it's just like historically the people who have gotten pilots pick it up have been mostly white males yeah. so when we we're looking at you know back through pilots that were sold of course the majority of them you know, it, this is because of historic trends that are yeah. starting to change that people are really getting the opportunity. You have to get the opportunity to have a dead pilot. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> somebody has to bought your pilot in the first yeah. place. Yeah, and that's the thing. People are so inclined. It's just, I think it, in a way, I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but the homogeneity in terms of hiring people, you like people who are, have had your experiences. Like you guys yeah. can vibe, you understand each other. And a shorthand for that is how you look. Like, of course, if you scratch the surface well a little bit deeper, you like everyone shares experiences yeah. that are very, very similar. But you, I think, I think people just have been pushed outside their comfort zone um, in a long, in a long time, maybe ever. So yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I I also think like in in rooms you kind of it's a top down thing. I think if oh, sure. the people doing the hiring have a no asshole policy, you'll have a room that's safe. And if anyone does say something that's out of line and immediately is like, oh man, cool, but you can maybe believe them because like, that does people step. I step in it all the time. You know what I mean? Everyone does. We no one's perfect, and we all say dumb things. But I think. Um, if you are hiring someone who has a track record of being a nice person and their writing reflects thoughtfulness and uh, awareness, um, you have a good shot of having a nice person in your room who you want to spend like 12 hours with, you know? Right. Yeah. So what happened at the end of this process? How did the pass uh, oh, uh, training room yeah. happen? It, ha- it, it was like a whimper. <laughs> I had done like 
17 drafts of this and had gone through so many different iterations and notes processes and punch-ups and um i was working on another show at the time uh, a disney plus show diary of a female president coming out in january i think um that that um I was already so in that show and focused on that show that like when they passed on it, I was like, okay, going to keep where I luckily I had a job that I liked going to every day that was like, it didn't hurt so bad. I kind of had figured it out anyway, but I was like, well, I've got, luckily I have this job that I'm excited about and, you know, on to the next one. So, okay, yeah. And you're working and now you're working on now I'm on one day at a time, which is uh, on pop TV. Now it migrated from Netflix which is a multicam. Uh, it's a reboot. Uh, if people know the show, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. People, probably people know, know the show. People listening probably know it's, the show. So this is your, wait, hold on. So this is your first, no, this isn't your first multicam because you no. worked on Abby's. Abby's, yeah. Okay. Abby's was the first time you did multi. As a writer. As a writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a yeah. writer's assistant. I did the Jackson and Braddock 1090. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. <clears throat> but as a writer, yeah. Um, and how, you know, a lot of the shows you mentioned that really inspired you to do this. Miller Boyette shows and mm-hmm. Friends, you know, these are multi-camera shows, yeah. but then you started out on single camera shows. How was that transition for you? So different and so fun. I have to, the idea, the thrill of tape night, when you get to shoot the thing you spent the last month and a half working on is so fun to have the instant gratification of watching an audience respond to writing and like in real time, pitching alt jokes that you think of on the spot. That's, it's like thrilling. It's a totally different sport. It's so much fun. Yeah. 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 Lots, we get to write a lot more jokes, which I like. I feel like with single camp, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a very funny show, very joke heavy show. But I've worked on like People of Earth, for example, like we had like a couple of jokes a scene. It was more like about the quirk than the hard comedy. Right. The training room has a lot of jokes. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of jokes in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's more my style. I like, I like jokes. And so it's been a real, pleasure to get to do a couple multicams almost back to back that are very joke friendly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, training room in a way um, is, you know, it's written as a single camera, but Mm -hmm. there's, you know, you're, you're in some pretty standing sets, you know, you're in a lot of the same sets, this script, um, uh, obviously it's edgier and the language is pushed beyond what, I mean, no one's doing yeah. sort of dirty mom. I mean, there's the ranch, I guess, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, to me, especially hearing it read a, a live table read is a very multi-camera friendly kind of thing. And this, this read in a way mm-hmm. so well that it made me think like, okay, this actually plays pretty well as a multi-cam Interesting. Um, that you have the locker room and training room. And, you know, these are your sets on the stage. Obviously, you've got helicopters landing on a field and all that, but it's not like you're showing a lot of the soccer games. You're kind of in these right. um, and, sets. Yeah, and that was part of the pitch was like, it's not about soccer. Like, right. we will see clips of things, maybe, or, you know, reactions of people watching something, but it's not about that. It's about the dynamics and the lives that they lead outside of that. And, and how much, was there a Sam and Diane kind of thing that you had in mind, yeah. Jamie and Mario? Not with Mario, actually. That's going to be the platonic friendship, but okay. with Jamie and Ryan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that, he's sort of like her um, competition. It's sort of the traditional, like, I hate you, I hate you. Oh, no, I love you. Sort of rom-com trope, which... Hope, could have, we could have we could have subverted yeah. had we had the chance yeah. yeah 
So. Well, uh, it was really fun to, to hear it. Thanks. It was, it was fun to do. Okay, good. Yeah, really fun. It was great to meet you. Thanks for Likewise, doing this. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And that is it for our show this month. The show is produced by myself and Ben Blacker and our associate producer, Noah Finling. Thanks to everyone at the Hollywood Improv. Uh, please, please, please subscribe to this podcast. Uh, we don't want you to miss an episode on whatever podcatcher you use. I can't believe how slow I am to learning that term. Uh, while you are there, please leave us a rating. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod, on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. Uh, next show, I think we will be into the fun drive. Uh, we've got a really, really great pilot by Joe Port and Joe Wiseman coming up for that one. Um, so until next time, I am Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>